Great, thanks very much, Anna. Um, Rich, could we just drop the lights down? Tim, we probably need to mute this one, I think. And we're just going to start with a little two-minute video. And I wonder if you know the story that this video um, is from. This town, you must go. But be warned. Do not be overly confident and heed to this warning. Settle it in your heart what you will do before you enter the town. Many have fallen who walked in with one eye on eternity and the other on the present. Go like, or the best, and you see the day. You can't be here without playing a game. No! No! What we wish to obtain, you do not sell here. That, sir, is impossible. What is going on here? What is the meaning of this disruption? These strange strangers insist that what they need is not available here. And as a result, they have disrupted our fair. Well then, to the judge! What? But we have done nothing! Excuse me! Make way! Make way! Yes, make way, I say! of this? What is this interruption to our fair? What? What did they do? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing? Exactly. They won't take part in anything. They won't buy anything. They are doing nothing. Well, by doing nothing, you have interrupted our fair. There's only one thing to do. Call the jury. I'm sure many of us have read that. Maybe some of us have watched the, the video of it. It's one of the best-selling Christian stories of all time, Pilgrim's Progress um, by John Bunyan. And in that little bit there, Christian and his friend Faithful, well, they're on their journey, aren't they, from the city of destruction to the celestial city, when one day they arrive in a place called Vanity Fair. And Vanity Fair looks exciting. There's so much fun to be had, so many things to buy and to enjoy. But, but John Bunyan wrote about Vanity Fair to help us understand that the world we live in is a world full of temptation. Because the people in Vanity Fair, they're not traveling to the celestial city. They're not interested in going to heaven. They just want to stay here and enjoy everything that they've got here. And the question is, what is Christian and his friend Faithful going to do? Are they going to carry on going to the celestial city? Or are they going to give in to temptation in Vanity Fair and stay there? Well, today we reach the last line of the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation. And it's the sort of prayer that um, Christian and faithful probably needed to pray in Vanity Fair. 
But what does it mean, and um, how can we pray it for ourselves today? Well, as we've been doing for our family services over the last few months, we've been working through the Lord's Prayer, and as we've been doing that, what we've tried to do is put the words of the Lord's Prayer into our own words. And uh, we're going to do that this morning. So here's the first thing I think this prayer teaches us. When we pray, lead us not to temptation, we're saying to our Father in heaven, Father, please help me not to sin. Father, please help me not to sin. There's a picture up here on the screen. Who can tell me which story from the Bible this is from? This is a very easy question. Ollie. Adam and Eve, brilliant. There is the serpent, the devil, disguised as a serpent. And there is Eve, and he's saying to her, God can't be trusted. God's not good. And Eve and Adam, who's standing next to her, they've got a choice to make. Am I going to listen to what God says and believe that he is good and true? Or am I going to listen to what the snake says? And what did they decide to do? Well, they listened to the snake, didn't they? They didn't listen to God. They gave in to temptation. And the Bible says, even though we don't live in the Garden of Eden, we're in the same sort of danger as Adam and Eve. Have a listen to these words in the book of James. Let me read these to you. It says, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust or desire. Then when lust or desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Does anyone like fishing? Anyone a keen fisherman or fisherwoman? Evan, yeah. Rob, Rob likes fishing. Well, imagine if Evan or Rob are standing on the side of the river with their fishing rod, okay? They've thrown their fishing rod in, and they can just feel a little tug on the end of the line. I think, oh, what have I've caught? A little fish, maybe a medium fish, maybe a big fish. And then it starts pulling harder and harder and harder. And you think, hmm, I'm not sure I'm strong enough to hold on to this fish, but I don't want to let go. And then suddenly, before you know, you're off the riverbank and you're being dragged down underwater. And you thought you'd caught a fish, but actually a terrifying river monster has caught you. Well, James says that temptation is a bit, little bit like the feeling on the end of the fishing line. It's a bit like all that stuff in Vanity Fair, all the stuff in the world around us. We look at it and think, I want to have that. My life will be better if I have that, and I don't want to let go. A bit like Eve looked at the fruit in the Garden of Eden. She thought, wow, that looks nice. I bet it's tasty, and it's going to make me wise like God. Well, it wasn't wrong for Eve to look at the fruit like that. It wasn't even wrong for her to think about the fruit like that. Temptation isn't sinful. Sin is sinful, but temptation is dangerous. Temptation can hook onto our hearts and drag us away from God. A bit like that hook drags you into the river. And James says that one day if we give in to temptation, it causes us to sin and sin causes us to die. And so that's why we need to pray this prayer. Father, please help me not to sin. In fact, that is exactly what Jesus told his disciples to pray in our other Bible reading. Do you remember? Here's the, here's the picture of that Bible reading. Who can tell me where they are? It's a different garden. What garden is that? It's the Garden of Gethsemane. It's nighttime. Jesus is praying. Jesus' friends are tired. And Jesus says to his friends, watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. But what do they do? They fall asleep. So Jesus goes and wakes them up and he says, get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. Because Jesus knows that his disciples are soon going to be tempted to do their own thing, not God's thing. 
And that is what happens. Do you remember Peter, when um, Jesus' enemies turn up, he gets his sword out and decides he wants to fight. And then the rest of Jesus' disciples, they all run away. And then Peter, when the rest of them have run away and he's kind of hung around for a little bit longer, he says, I don't even know who Jesus is. Jesus' friends didn't pray, Father, please help me not to sin. And so they gave into temptation and they failed the test. Well, that is what we're praying when we pray this prayer. We're saying to God, God, please help me not to fall into temptation. Help me not to be hooked in by temptation. Help me not to give into it. Now, so I've got a diagram on the screen. I don't know if this is very helpful. But here we're saying to God, this is me. This is me. And in my life, I've got different choices. I can go this way or that way. I can go the way of righteousness and life. That's your way, God. Or I can go the way of temptation, sin, and death. And I'm saying to my Father in heaven, Father God, I don't want to go to the way of temptation and sin and death. I want to go to the way of righteousness and life. Please lead me that way instead. It's a bit like, do you remember in that famous prayer, um, King David says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Saying, God, I want you to be my good shepherd. I want you to lead me in paths of righteousness, ways of living that please you. Well, I wonder what temptations are in your life right now. Whether you're young or old, whether you've been a Christian or a, a little time or a long time. I want you to think about that. Maybe just turn to someone near to you. Now, you might know this person really well. You might not know them very well at all. So depending on how well you know them, you can say, say whatever you want. And I want you to think about what temptations are in your life or could be in someone's life. And then you're going to tell me in a moment and we're going to put some of them up here on this whiteboard. So just for two or three minutes, turn around and say, what sort of things might be tempting you to live your way, not God's way? Okay, um, Ali, could you come and um, hold my whiteboard for me? Um, thank you. And um, who wants to get started? What sort of temptations do we sometimes find in our life? Matt? Comfort. So we just want to be comfortable. Okay. Who's got some other ones? 
gossiping, okay? Sometimes it feels really nice, doesn't it, to gossip about other people? Yeah. What other temptations might we have in our genie? Junk television. Maybe that's a bit like comfort. So we do, yeah, but yeah, okay. Junk TV. Not necessarily a bad thing, but if we'd spend our whole time watching junk TV, maybe not good. What others? Maybe see if we can get two more. Yeah, Emily. Okay, so what, so maybe I'll just put money. Money can tempt us in all sorts of different ways, can't it? Yeah. One more. Max. Food. Okay, so maybe that's kind of like, so that's also kind of with comfort, isn't it? So we just want, maybe want to be greedy. Okay, so there's all sorts of different ways of being tempted. Ali, you can sit down, and you might need to come back in a minute. Um, lots of things in life that can hook onto our hearts and drag us away from God. And so when we're praying, lead us not into temptation, we're saying to God, please, Father, lead, please help me not to sin. But that's not the only thing we're praying when we pray this prayer. There's another half to it too. In Luke's gospel, it's not there, it's in Matthew's gospel, but it, it says, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And when we put that in our own words, I think this is what we're saying. Father, my enemy is strong, but you are much stronger. My enemy is strong, but you are much stronger. Now, I wonder if anyone saw this story on the news this summer. This uh, lady is called Jessica Liedolf, and she's a model in Germany. And she went to a retirement home for show animals to do a photo shoot. And uh, she or her photographer thought it was a good idea for her to be photographed in the cage enclosure of a leopard. Not a good idea. You see, she got mauled by the leopard and she was probably pretty lucky to get out alive. The Bible says that we don't face a leopard as an enemy, but a lion. Sometimes describes the devil as a lion who's prowling around looking for someone to devour, looking for someone to gobble up. And the devil partly does that by all that good stuff that we saw in Vanity Fair, but he also does it from bad stuff, by tempting us with the painful, hard, and difficult things in life and making us think, God doesn't love me. I'm not going to bother trusting him anymore. He famously did that with a man called Job. Job uh, the devil, Satan, took away Job's house and his family and his business, and his health. And he thought, if I take away all that stuff from Job, if I make Job suffer a lot, then Job's going to stop trusting God. And Satan sometimes wants to do the same thing with you and me. He wants to use the hard and difficult and painful things in life to make us think, I'm not going to bother trusting Jesus anymore. So we're going to use my other whiteboard. Um, Ali, you're going to pop back up um, and... Um, just whilst Ali, let's let, make Ali stand there rather awkwardly for 90 seconds whilst we talk about some ourselves. What difficult things might make us think, I'm not going to bother trusting God anymore? And then we can call those out and we can write them up on the whiteboard. Okay?
Great. Let's, um, which, what difficult things? Who can think of some difficult things the devil might use to tempt us to make us think, I'm not going to trust God anymore? Rob? Ill health, yes, sickness. Fixed. Singleness, so sort of relationships and things, or, or not having a relationship. Rela- sing- oh, what have I written there? Singleship, that's not right. <laughs> Thank you. Others? Yeah. Yeah, fi- financial worries. Loss. Yeah. Losing anything. Yeah. Disappointment. Cool, yeah. Well, not cool, but... um. This is a bit easier to think about, isn't it, than perhaps in the first one. Linda? Yeah. Busyness. Okay. Persecution. Okay, so. Yeah. Disease. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Ali. You can sit down again. Um, so, what should we do when we see all those difficult things in life? Well, our prayer reminds us that we can say to God, please take them away. I don't like it, and I don't want it in my life. So here's another really helpful diagram, perhaps. We're saying to God, this is me. There's really difficult stuff coming to me from all around my life. I really don't like it. I feel under pressure, and I want you to take me away. Take it away from me. I want you to deliver me from evil. I want you to rescue me from this bad stuff. You know, even Jesus prayed that. Do you remember what he prayed in the garden? He prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knew what it was going to be like to die. He knew it was going to be hard. And he didn't want to do it. But he said, God, I'm going to trust your good plan. And I'm going to. He submitted to his father's plan for his life. And when we pray this prayer, we're praying, Father, my enemy is strong. But you're much stronger. That's what Jesus knew in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew that the devil was strong, but he knew that his father was stronger. And we know that the devil wants to use all those sorts of things on the whiteboards to tempt us to stop trusting God. But we know too that our Father in heaven is stronger. And he can use those good things, those bad things for good instead. Just like James again um, writes. This is what James says. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James isn't saying all that bad stuff's going to make you happy. He's saying, you can know that that bad stuff is going to be used for your good to help you keep trusting Jesus. That's what happened, actually, in Vanity Fair and in all sorts of other places on Christian's journey. Bad stuff happened to him, but it helped him learn to trust God more and more. But what about if the very worst thing happens? Can we really be sure that our, that our Father in heaven is stronger than our enemy if we die? Because that's actually what happened in Vanity Fair. You see, Christian escaped, but Faithful was killed in Vanity Fair. It doesn't look like 
God is stronger than our enemy when death comes, does it? Well, to answer that question, we're going to think again about Jesus, but first of all, a little diversion to Harry Potter. Now, I don't know if you're a big Harry Potter fan, so if I get this slightly wrong, and you are a big Harry Potter fan, please just correct me afterwards. This is taken from um, Wikipedia, basically. Um, In the last episode of Harry's life, Harry and the Deathly Hallows, we discover that Harry's going to die. And Harry discovers that it was Dumbledore's plan all along that he was going to die. And he feels betrayed. He thinks, but you're my friend, like my mentor. And then he realizes that suffering was always the plan in his life. Dumbledore made sure that Harry suffered. Because he wanted to make sure that Harry didn't turn out like his horrible cousin Dudley. And most of all, he wanted to free him from his arch enemy, Voldemort. And that is actually what happens when when Harry dies. So he dies, apparently he's holding some sort of resurrection stone or resurrection potion or something. It's hidden in something called a snitch, which he got when he won something called a Quidditch match. Um, And when he dies, he He doesn't actually die. He gets set free from Voldemort, and he's free from Voldemort forever. You see, Dumbledore had a good plan, and he was stronger than Harry's enemy. And he used suffering for Harry's good. And it is a bit like that with following Jesus. Just a bit, not too much, just a bit. You see, we have a big and powerful enemy. He's like a lion, and he wants to devour us. But our enemy is stronger than him, and he can use the bad things in our life for good instead. And we know that that is absolutely true because of a third garden. Remember the first garden, the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve are tempted. Remember the second garden, where Jesus is tempted and his disciples are tempted. Now the third garden, three days after Jesus dies, he's in another garden, and he he is raised from the dead. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, Father, my enemy is strong, that you are much stronger. We are remembering that God raised Jesus from the dead and that God will raise us from the dead too, even through those bad things. So just remember Vanity Fair. There we go. It's not the only time Christian is tempted on his journey. He's tempted by giants. He's tempted in mountains. He's tempted in rivers. He's tempted by monsters. But he keeps on going. And the Christian life is a bit like that. All sorts of temptations, all sorts of different places from all sorts of different ways. And we need to remember that we keep on praying, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If Jesus prayed that prayer, we can pray that prayer too. So why don't we bow our heads now? I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Father, please help us not to sin. Father, our enemy is strong, but you are much stronger. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us about this prayer that we can pray. Thank you that this is a prayer that Jesus prayed and that you answered it for him in every way, even through death. And you will answer this prayer for us too. So help us to be people who pray this prayer and who keep going in this life, following Jesus all the way to heaven. For we ask in his name. Amen.